Good morning, everybody. Hey, today we continue our series titled Rooted. Somebody say Rooted. Rooted. Today we continue our series Rooted. We are in a season as a church where God is growing and bringing significant fruit to our church, which is just amazing, isn't it? Isn't it amazing to be a part of a place where God is on the move and God is changing lives and God is showing up? God is on the move, and it's incredibly exciting to see the way that God's changing our city and changing people's lives. Our reach is expanding significantly, but in order to handle the kind of fruit God is bringing, it will require us as a body to be rooted, to have deep roots, to have a foundation and infrastructure that's strong and ready to handle the fruit. Thank you, Joel. I appreciate that. Got like a wind tunnel up here on the sides. Anybody hear the wind tunnel? I got a wind tunnel on my left, and then I got another one on the right. Would you get the one on the right as well? Thanks, brother. Would you put your hands together for Joel Smith in the house, everybody? Well done, brother. Thank you. Thank you for your service to uh, the Lord. Um, so let me, let me jump back in for this. Much fruit, much fruit requires deep roots. Amen? Much fruit requires deep roots. Amen? Amen. Say it, Will. Say amen. 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 Thank you, brother. Much fruit requires deep roots. So the vision right now for our church is to be rooted, to be rooted spiritually, to be rooted in our leadership, rooted in our ministries, and rooted in our systems and structures. Now, here's the reality. Um, there are a lot of people at the bridge who aren't yet bought into the mission of God and invested in the mission of God through the bridge church. Now, Hey, maybe you're new, no judgment here from the stage. Uh, maybe you are a new, maybe you're ready to take the step. Maybe you've just lost your drive. Maybe you've lost your passion for the mission of God. I shared these statistics last week, but um, only 30% of our church um, actually serves in a ministry at the bridge. Only 40% of our church is active in a community group. Only 40% of our church gives on a regular basis. So here, let's, this will make this a little bit easier, all right? So the section over to my right, just this section, not the back, but the, just this section to the right, would you all stand to your feet in this right section? Go ahead and stand up to your feet. Uh, this represents 30% of the room, 30% of the church. Those are the people that serve on a regular basis at the bridge. Now, I know y'all serve over here, okay? I know some of y'all serve. This is just an analogy, okay? Um, but this represents 30%. Stay standing with everyone in the back three sections and the far back three sections. Stand to your feet as well. Everybody stand. This represents 40% of our church. This, is, this represents those who give financially on a regular basis so that the lights can be on. All right, and so that we can, we can pay our staff and so that we can have resources for ministry and so that we can plant churches and fund international missionaries. Thank you. You can be seated. Here's, here's the reality, regardless of where you are, regardless of uh, what stage of life you're in or how new you are or what your situation is, Rooted is an opportunity for you to jump in and to be invested in the mission of God, specifically through God's church. Here's the reality. There is no better investment in the world than the local church. Not a one. Not a single one. I know you were looking at the S&P 500 this past week and it might be doing great. There is no better investment than the mission of God and the church of God, and the people of God. There is no better place to invest your life. There is no better place to invest your energy and invest your dollars than the local church. There's no better way to impact heaven than the local church. Because through the local church, um, every hour, every gift, and every dollar changes our faith family. It changes our city, and it changes our world. Now, in order to be rooted as a church, in order to be rooted in the mission of God, it requires faith. It requires a deep down gut level faith and belief in God that you're going to be willing to give of yourselves and to invest in the mission of God. It requires a vision for who God is, who he is and what he wants to do and what he is like in order to be able to build his kingdom here. And so what I've said last Sunday, and I'll say this as much as possible, this is a faith moment for our church. Right now, here in November 2019, this is a faith moment for our church. It's a faith moment. This is a defining moment. And are we going to stay comfortable and just stay okay with being okay, or are we going to swing for the fence, to swing for the fence and leave it all on the field and invest everything we've got into God's kingdom? We're at a defining moment where we need to get serious and put God's kingdom 
first. Now, in addition to this series, this series is a, is a five-week series where we're going to be talking about what it looks like to invest our lives, to invest our time, our talent, and our treasure in the mission of God. The Rooted Booklet that you received is a series resource to help you. Like I said last Sunday, it's got a daily devotional in there. It's got a place for sermon notes in there. It's got a place for a weekly community group guide and discussion in there. That is a resource. In addition to the series, we're also doing a faith initiative. Now, what is a faith initiative? The faith initiative is simply an offering where we're going to give together on December 8th, Sunday, December 8th. It's a one-time financial contribution that's above and beyond your regular giving. And if you're like, well, I don't regularly give to the bridge, it's your first way to give to the bridge. It's above and beyond what, what you would regularly give to uh, the bridge uh, church. It's an offering. It's a way for us to practice and demonstrate radical generosity to the kingdom of God. And we're going to impact three areas through this initiative for our family, which we're going to highlight today, for our city, which we'll highlight next Sunday, and then for our world, which we'll highlight the following Sunday. Now, I mentioned this, la- this last week, but if you weren't here, let me mention it again. Historically, we have done something at this time of the year uh, called Christmas for the City. You can actually read more about it. There's an article at the back of your Rooted uh, booklet. Um, Christmas for the City was a generosity initiative that focused on the mission of God. Outside the church, 100% of the dollars that were given went outside the church, which was great for the early years of our church. And through this faith initiative, we're actually able to do everything that we've done in the past with Christmas for the City and even more. We're actually expanding and increasing what we've done through Christmas for the City by not only focusing on the mission of God outside the church, but focusing on the mission of God also inside the church. And just by the way, we, we think that this is not only prudent um, as our leadership, uh, for our leadership, we also think this is very biblical. Um, Galatians 6.10, Paul would encourage the churches there. He would say, so then, as we have opportunity, let us do good to everyone, and especially to those who are of the household of faith. Which means we should definitely do good to everyone in our city and around the world, but our family, our faith family, is our first priority and our responsibility. And so today we're going to be highlighting for our family a little later in the worship gathering, and then the next week will be for our city, and then the following week for our world, okay? Shall we pray? Let's pray. I'm ready to get into the text, okay? I know I got to do a little vision stuff up front, got to do a little business before I get the Bible, but I'm ready to get into the text. Are you ready? Are you ready? Are you ready? Here we go. Let's pray. God, we just ask today that you would um, take the time that we have together and that this wouldn't just be some kind of gathering on a Sunday morning in Wilmington, North Carolina in November 2019, but this would be a defining moment, this would be a faith moment that would uh, forever change our lives and that you would change us and make us, make us different from how we came in here. And not, not through our own strength or our own power, but through an encounter with the living God. Uh, to be able to see you would, you, would you remove the blinders this morning for us to be able to see you, which is really the only way that faith happens. So allow us to see you, God, and then move in us and lead in us for how you would want us to follow you as best as possible. We say this in Jesus' name. And all God's people said, amen. Amen. Numbers chapter 13. You got a Bible? Get your Bible, grab it, open it, turn it on. Numbers chapter 13 today. Who brought your Bible? Uh, who, who brought their Bible today? Grab your Bible. Get it. If you don't have it, we give away Bibles in the lobby for free. You can also download an app for free. Numbers chapter 13. Numbers chapter 13 is where we will be. Let me catch you up on the context. If you remember from last Sunday, I actually was in Exodus, and we were talking about how God had delivered his people from Egypt 400 years of oppressive bondage and slavery under the oppressive rule of several pharaohs for four centuries, which means for 400 years, all God's people knew was slavery. For 400 years, all God's people knew was bondage. For 400 years, all they knew was captivity. Don't you think that would affect you? Don't you think that that would, that would change the way that you think? Don't you think that would affect the way that your, your, your psyche would, would operate? It, they, were, they were so used to living in captivity, they didn't understand what it meant to be free. They didn't understand what it meant to be led by God and to know God. And here we, what we see is God uproots them from the world in order to plant them in a new place in the promised land which he has promised. 
You see that? God removes them from Egypt. He snatches them out of Egypt to take them to a future promised land where he wants to plant them so they can grow, which means you got to get uprooted from the world in order to get rooted in God. All right, you cannot be rooted in God while you're being rooted in the world. All right, you got to plant some roots. You got to plant some roots in God. You got to uproot some things in the past. You got anything in your life that you need to uproot? Got anything in your life that's, that's tied in the past, that's tied in Egypt, that's tied in your captivity and your bondage and the way that you used to think and the way that you used to operate? God now takes his people on a journey from Exodus, I'm sorry, from Egypt to the promised land. It's actually over a year's journey that it takes them to get to the promised land. And in this season, God does amazing things in their, in their lives. He takes them through the Red Sea, as we saw last week. He splits the Red Sea. He delivers them. He takes them to the other side, and he defeats the enemy of Pharaoh and the Egyptians. I mean, God shows up. I mean, he is throwing down. He wants them to know who he is. He's trying to reveal to them what he is like so that they can get used to operating in a relationship with God and know what he is like. Then he would lead them to Mount Sinai. He would lead them to Mount Sinai. They would spend a considerable amount of time there. Moses would go up on the mountain. He would come down with the law. And God would begin to teach his people and reveal to his people, this is what it's like to know God. This is what it's like to operate in the kingdom of God. This is your new law. God is reforming and he's reshaping his people. He has to teach them what it means to be led by him, to follow him, and to walk with him. It's a journey to the promised land. How many of you know that's true of your life as well? When you became a Christian, did you become perfect? The journey of becoming a Christian is a journey to the promised land in which God reshapes you and he reforms you into the kind of person that he wants you to be, which means you don't sleep around with your boyfriend or your girlfriend anymore. That's the way that you used to operate in the world. You're not addicted to pornography. You don't live in the world of anxiety. You don't live in, in the world of gossip. That was Egypt, okay? That was the way you used to operate in Egypt. Now I'm reforming and I'm reshaping you and showing you what a new life connected to me and following me looks like. And that's the journey that he's taking his people on. It's an amazing journey. It's the journey of the Christian life as well. And now, after a year's time, God's people are standing at the threshold of the promised land. You are so stinking tired of eating manna. I mean, you've been eating manna day after day after day. It's the way that God provided in the wilderness, but you're, you're tired of that. You want some big grapes from Canaan. You want some nice fruit from Canaan. You hear about some milk and honey that's flowing in that place. You're ready for a change. You're ready for something different. And now God's people, they're finally standing at the threshold of the promised land. It's amazing, isn't it? Then here's, here's, here's what Here's what happens. What happens, Pastor Ethan? Here's what happens. Numbers 13, 1 and 2. I get so excited about the Bible. It's amazing. Numbers 13, verses 1 and 2. It says this. The Lord said to Moses, God and Moses have a conversation. That's what God does with the leader of his people. God has conversations, shows him vision, teaches him, talks to him so that he can instruct the people. He says this to Moses. He spoke to Moses saying, send men to spy out the land of Canaan, which I am giving to the people of Israel. From each tribe of their fathers, you shall send a man, each one a chief among them. What, what I love about this, this verse, what, what God says, he says, send, we're going to get some spies. This is the same thing for scouts. We're going to get some scouts. We're going to send them into the land. It's going to be like a divine hiking trip. We're going to send them into the land. And, um, and he says, by the way, the land that I am giving to you, the land that I've already promised to you, the land that I am giving to you. This is what God has been saying the whole time. God's saying, I'm taking you to a land. I've got a new place for you. I've got a new destination for you. I've got a new home for you. I'm taking you to this. I'm promising you this. This is the promised land. Why was it called the promised land? Because God promised him, them the land. It's the promised land. He says, I am giving this land to you. I love this. You see the promise of God here in this first verse to Moses, first couple of verses. And you also see the God of the promise. You know, faith is not only knowing the promises of God, but also knowing the God of the promises. And we'll see this is going to be a, a defining reality for their lives. And so God tells Moses, all right, all right, Moses, let's get 12, 12 men. All right, get 12 men. There's 12 tribes in, in God's people. Uh, get one man from each of the tribes. And it says get the chief uh, among them. All right, so get whoever's in charge. 
whoever's the head honcho of each of the tribes, get the 12 of them. We're going to come together. I'm going to send them out into the land, um, and we're, we're going to send them on a little mission, okay? Now, Moses now is going to give them instructions for what they're supposed to do on their divine hiking trip. Here's, here's what he says, Numbers. If you jump down to verse 17, it says this. Moses sent them to spy out the land of Canaan and said to them, here's what he tells them to do. Go up into the Negeb and go up into the hill country. Get somewhere up high so you can get a good view so you can look. Verse 18. And see what the land is. Somebody say see. See what the land is. Take a look at it. And whether the people who dwell in it are strong or weak, whether they are few or many, whether the land that they dwell in is good or bad, whether the cities that they dwell in are camps or strongholds, what's the fortification of their cities, and whether the land is rich or poor, meaning agriculturally, and whether there are trees in it or not. And then he says this. This is the last thing he says to them. Be of good courage. Be of good courage and bring some of the fruit of the land. Bring us back some grapes while you're at it, okay? We hear they're really good. Uh, bring us back some grapes. Now the time was the season of the first ripe grapes. Here's what Moses' instructions to them is go into the land and see. Go into the land and see. This is so critical. This is so important. Their mission, their responsibility is to look. It is to see. Go and look into the land and then take an assessment. Take an assessment of the land and bring back a report. Moses tells them to assess five things. He says, assess the strength of the people. How strong are these folks? How big are these people? And then he says the second thing to assess, the total number of people. How many of these cats are there? We need to know how many there are. Number three, assess the fortification of the cities. How strong are these cities? They got big walls, got small walls, they got fences. What do they have? Strong armies, fortification of the cities. Number four, he says assess the, the agricultural potential of the land. Tell us what the agriculture is like. Tell us what the farmland is like. We need to see what are the creeks, what are the rivers, um, how lush is the habitat there. And then he says, number five, assess the forestry conditions. Assess the forestry uh, conditions. And then he, he says, come back with a report. It's important to note that he does not instruct them at any point in this instruction manual that he gives them. He does not ask for results. He does not ask for results of what they think will happen. He does not ask for an opinion of what they think is going to happen in the land. Uh, he merely asks for a report. Now, why would God need a report? I mean, doesn't God already know the land of Canaan? It's the promised land. This is where he's taking them. God knows where he's going. He knows where he's sent. Why does God need a report? Does God need a report? No. God doesn't need a report. Why in the world would he ask for them a report? If God doesn't need the report, then they must need the report. So it, this whole scenario means that it is an intentional moment that is set up for them, not God. This moment actually isn't necessarily about God. It, this is about them. This is, this is, God wants them to see. God wants them to bring a report. This is a test of their faith. This is a faith moment. This is, a, this is what God does. God puts us in situations. God puts us in, in circumstances where it's a faith moment, where he wants to test our faith and, and assess our faith. Do you know that it's, it's healthy for us to assess our faith? Do you know that's a good thing? Um, well, that is why on page 9 and 10 of your rooted booklet, we have put together for you a rooted faith assessment. You got your book? Grab your book. Everybody grab your book, page 9 and 10. I want you to, um, if you don't have a book, that's okay. Maybe you're, you're new today. Maybe this is your first Sunday. That's okay. There's plenty in the lobby. Grab a, a book. These things are awesome. They're amazing. Our team did a fantastic job. In the Rooted Faith Assessment on pages 9 and 10, you will see a place to do an assessment of your time and your investment in the mission of God on a time standpoint, um, an invest, investment of your talents and your gifts and the things that God has gifted you with, and then you'll also see a place to assess your treasure and your finances and the way that you're invested in the mission of God, all right? So go ahead and 
Uh, schedule a time. If you're, if you're married, schedule a time to do this with your spouse this afternoon, okay? Right when you get back from Costco, as soon as we get back from Costco, we're going to put everything away. And when we get there, uh, we're going to go ahead and we're going to complete our rooted faith assessment. Um, if the kids are going crazy, we'll wait till they go down. But we're not going to go to sleep until we do our rooted faith assessment, okay? And we're going to do this together. Maybe uh, you're single. Maybe do it with a friend. Do it with a family member. And then we're actually going to discuss this together at community group this week on where we are in our own personal journey and our rooted uh, faith. Um, assessment. And so then Moses says this final word that I think is super critical for us to understand. He says this. This is the last thing he encourages them to do is to be of good courage. To be of good courage. This word in the Hebrew, it, it, it literally means to grow firm or strong or to strengthen. Actually, there's different versions, different translations. Some of them don't do a good job on this, in my opinion. They just say, like, do your best and stuff like that. The word here, the literal meaning of the word, it means to be strong, to strengthen yourself, to get yourself strong, to have a, and it's not just meaning a physical strength, is it? It's not just a physical strength. This is a mental strength. This kind of be of good courage, it isn't, he's not saying hit the weights, guys. Hit the weights before you go out tomorrow. That's not what he's saying. He's not saying get on the treadmill. No, he's, he's saying be of good courage. Be strong in your spirit. Be strong in your mind because of what you're getting ready to be sent into, which means this is a mindset and a posture of the people of God. Before you step into a situation, you got to go ahead and premeditate and determine that you're going to have a mindset that's strong when you go into that situation. There's, there's another, another passage, um, several passages throughout the Bible that say this, but I'll, I'll mention one, Deuteronomy 31.6. It says, be strong and courageous. Do not fear or be in dread of them, for it is the Lord your God who goes with you. He will not leave you or forsake you. Therefore, be strong. Be strong. Have, have an internal mindset. Change your up here. Up here, you got to change your mindset. All right. Your mindset isn't your brain. It's your attitude. It's the way that you think. It's the way that you operate in your situation. It's your mindset. Did you know that you're the only one responsible for your mindset? Do you know that you're the only one that can actually control your mindset? Did you know that you're actually responsible and commanded to control your mindset? Nobody else. I can't do that for you. That's something that you have to do. You got to make a decision. Am I going to enter this situation this week? Am I going to walk into this moment as hard as it may be and as challenging as it may be with, with a, a mindset of I'm going to be strong in the Lord or I'm going to be, be weak? I'm just, I'm just I, I don't know what to expect. I don't know what's going to happen. We'll just, we'll just go with the flow. Christians don't go with the flow, all right, unless it's the flow of the Holy Spirit. All right, we go with God. We enter situations and we enter circumstances already having a mindset that we're going to be strong and courageous because we got God on our side. Amen? Amen. So the last thing that he says is to be strong. So they set out. They set out on the mission. He sends them out for 40 days. They go out on this hiking trip for 40 days, and, and then here's what happens when they return. Look at verse 25. Don't you love this? Verse 25. At the end of the 40 days, they returned from spying out the land. They had done their exploration. They had done their little trip. They come back, verse 26, and they came to Moses and Aaron and to all the congregation of the people of Israel. Everybody's gathered together. Everybody's waiting. Everybody's in anticipation. It's kind of like a church worship gathering. What, what's going to happen, guys? And they return uh, to all the congregation of the people of Israel in the wilderness of Paran at Kadesh. And they brought back word to them and to all the congregation and showed them the fruit of the land. And they told uh, him, said this, we came to the land to which you have sent us. It flows with milk and honey, and this is its fruit. They're like, this place is amazing. I mean, this, it's like flowing with milk and with honey. It is so amazing. This is like the Old Testament version of a, a land flowing with Brits donuts and pumpkin spice lattes. I mean, this place is just utterly amazing. This place is unbelievable. Believable. There isn't anything like this in the world. That's why Brits Donuts are the best donuts on the planet. They are amazing. They're, they're fantastic. They're, they're unbelievable. And so they come back and they begin their report. They begin their report and they say, like, you got, you're not going to believe this place. I'm telling you all, like, it's like, it's not, there's actually not like milk. Um, there's actually not, it's, a meta, it's like a metaphor. There's not like milk, there's not like rivers of milk. But they're like, I mean, that's what, and man, this place is like flowing with milk and honey. 
I mean, it is just unbelievable. And it's, they begin good. They start out good. They start out good with their report. They're doing a good job so far. And then this is what it says in verse 28. However, in my translation in the ESV, it says, however. In the NIV and the NLT, it says, but. And in the NASB, in the old King Jimmy, it says, nevertheless. Nevertheless. The report starts out good, but then they put a but on it. You ever find it interesting with that word in the Bible? You know, when, 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 when that word is used of God, like while we were in our trespasses and sins, but God, there's, as Pastor Mucci said a few months ago, that's a divine but in the Bible. This is a human, but they say, they say, but, they say, however, y'all are, you're like so awkward right now. You're like, will he please, will he please continue? Verse, verse 28, however, however, but, but the people who dwell in the land are strong. Woo, they are strong in the cities are fortified and very large. These cities are sub, and besides, we saw the descendants of Anak there. Remember Anak? They, they would have remembered Anak from back in the day. They would have remembered, oh my goodness, verse 29. The Amalekites dwell in the land of the Negev. Everybody been like, oh, not them. The Amalekites, the Hittites, oh no. The Jebusites, oh no. The Amorites dwell in the hill country. It's all over. They're scattered all over the place. There's not a chance. And the Canaanites dwell by the sea all along the Jordan. You see the way that their report shifts gears they add a but to their report. Now, notice in verse 28, it says, and besides, we saw the descendants. They're using their eyes. What Moses asked them to do, he sent them on a mission to see. And now here they're using their eyes and they saw and they're responding to what they saw. But one of the spies one of the spies, one of the scouts who went in, speaks up. It only takes one, by the way. One of the scouts speaks up. One of the scouts has got a rhythm that's different than the rest of them. One of the scouts has got a way of thinking and a way of operating and a way of aligning his life that is different than the rest of the scouts, we would actually go later to find out it was Caleb and Joshua. But this is how one of the scouts, Caleb, speaks up. He, he says this in verse 30. But Caleb quieted the people before Moses. He said, hold on, hold on, stop it. It started to get into a frenzy. You ever do that? You begin to have a conversation with your friend, begin to have a conversation with your spouse, and it just starts to go in a frenzy real, real quick. And, and Caleb's like, hold on, stop, 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 stop. Wait, wait, hold on. And he says this, let us go up at once and occupy it. For we are well able to overcome it. He says, let's go. He says, let's go. He sees the exact same thing that they see. And his response to the situation, his response to the circumstances are to let's go. Let's go for it. Let's go right now. It's the promised land for crying out loud. Why are we waiting? Why are we talking about this? Why are we having a, a meeting about this when we need to go and take the land? Caleb's like, let's go at once and occupy it. It is ours. It belongs to us for we are able to overcome it. Caleb is in sync with something that's different than the rest of them. Caleb is in sync with a living God that he has experienced in his own life. Caleb's like, we got a God. He split the Red Sea like just a few months ago, y'all. Like the Egyptians were chasing us, and God made water split, and the ground was dry, and we walked through. So let's take it. Let's go. Like, what? we were at the mountain. We were in Mount Sinai, and the whole world changed, and God came down and spoke and wrote in stone. This God is amazing. We got him. Let's go. Let's go. We got to occupy it. We got to go. We got to do it. It's time. This is ours. Let's move. And you would hope things would shift, but they don't shift. 
you know, two people can look at the exact same thing and see something completely different. Two people can look at the exact same thing and see something completely different. You ever seen this image before? You ever seen this image? Uh, this is actually um, an image, two different people. There is a young woman in the picture, and there is an older woman in the picture. How many of you, by a show of hands, see the young woman? Raise your hand. How many of you, by a show of hands, see the older woman? Raise your hand. Aha! Not everybody. Not everybody. You ever seen this before? All right, so um, I'm going to try to do my best to help you, but I actually can't help you see what only you can see, okay? Um, if you look at the, the image, if you see the young woman, it looks like she is looking away. It looks like she is looking off into the distance to the right. You can see her chin line. You can see her nose and her eyelash pointing in the distance in the same direction as the feather. You see her looking in that direction. And then to see the older woman, she is actually looking down like this. You can see her chin at the very bottom of the picture with her lips and her eye looking down with her head covering on this side. You see it? Anybody, anybody only see one, raise your hand if you only see one image right now. I'm so sorry. I'm so sorry. There's, my hands are tied. There's only so much that I can do. There's two, two, see, two people can look at the exact same thing and see something completely different. Here's what happens. Here's what happens. One group. All right, let's, let's take that down, all right, because this sermon is never going to end. This sermon will never end if you leave that up there. Okay, um, here's, here's what happens. Here, of the spies, one group sees problems. Now, were there problems? Yes. Big problems. Hittite problems. Jebusite problems. Amalekite problems. The sons of the Nephilim. These are giants. If you go back in the Bible, these are actually giants. These are like the biggest people on the planet. Were there problems? Were there strong cities? Yes, there were problems. One group sees problems. One group sees problems. They're looking at the exact same thing. One group sees problems. One sees promise. One group, all they can see is trouble. Oh, my goodness, we're not going to win. Do you see what we're getting ready to step into? This is an impossible situation. This is trouble all the way around. This is going to be trouble. This is going to be a trouble. This is going to be trouble. There is no way we're going to be, be able to get out of this. Here, here's, here's what I'll say to that. What looks like trouble to us looks like training to God. What looks like trouble to us looks like training to God. Tell your neighbor. Look at your neighbor. Tell your neighbor you're not in trouble. You're in training. You're not in trouble. I know it looks that way. I know that it looks terrible. I know that it looks awful. I know that it looks impossible. But you're, you're not actually in trouble to the degree that you think you are. It's, it's not just trouble. It's actually a training. You know, in my own personal life, when I look back at the seasons of my life where I thought I was in the greatest trouble, do you know what I found out? I was in the greatest training. When I was in high school and my dad planted a church in Myrtle Beach and we lived in a single wide trailer where the floor of my bedroom, I could see all the way to the ground and I thought I was in trouble. I was actually in training. I, I was actually in training. God, God was positioning me. God was preparing me for something. When I, when I was in my first ministry job that was going south, that was really hard, right out of Bible college and I was there as a, as a young, dumb youth pastor trying to figure out what ministry was like, and it, it was hard, and there was trouble on every front, and it seemed like I couldn't win at the church that I was at, and it seemed like trouble. You know what it actually was? It was training. It was training. God was working. God was preparing. For, at the Bridge Church, you know, some of the hardest seasons and the darkest seasons and moments that I've had to walk through as a pastor, and I thought I was in trouble. Guess what? I was in training. I was in training because God was taking me on a journey that I couldn't go on my own. And God had to show me something. And God had to show me that I wasn't actually in as much trouble as I thought I was. I was actually in training. And you know, God has brought me through everything. God has brought me through every, every season, not because I'm, I'm strong. If it was up to me, I would have been done a long time ago. I would have quit a, on a many Monday mornings if it was up to me. I, would, I, I dream about driving a bread truck on Monday morning sometimes, you know. 
This is, a, this is a faithfulness of God. This is God. He wants to train them. He wants to show them. He wants to work in them. Two people, one scenario, see two different things. Why can't they see the promise? Why can't they see the promise? Because it's one thing to know the promise of God. It's another thing to know the God of the promise. It's, it's one thing to know the promise of God. It's another thing to know the God of the promise. Um, I want to break something down for you as quickly as possible. A little excursus here. Um. In Christianity, if you're new to this, if you're trying to understand what this is like, if maybe you're like on the fence or maybe you've got a friend that's been bringing you here for a few months and trying to figure out what this is, exactly what this is. At first glance, most people think that Christianity is a set of behaviors. Uh, Christianity is a set of behaviors, things that you must do or things that you must not do. Like um, you have to um, read your Bible. You have to give money. You have to love uh, your neighbor. You, you can't cheat on your spouse. You can't cheat on your taxes. You can't do this. You can't lie. You can't X, Y, and Z, a set of behaviors. Now, is Christianity, on some level, a set of behaviors? Yes. All right? If you want to follow Jesus, that means be a student, a disciple of Jesus. You want to apprentice the way of Jesus. means that you have to live in such a way that your behaviors actually align with his behaviors and his commands of what he has instructed us. That's actually uh, true. That, that, that's part of what Christianity is. But here's, here's the problem. A lot of Christians never move out of behaviors. They never understand Christianity other than behaviors. They never understand of Christianity, this is what I should do, and this is the way that I should think, and this is what we should do with our money, and what we should do, this, this and that. Christianity is not just behaviors. It's also belief. It's belief. You, you, you have to have both. Behaviors are certain actions and practices that you must do in response to um, the gospel. Belief is actually knowing God and who he is and walking and communing with the living God of the universe. That's what belief is. And this is the beauty of the gospel. Jesus didn't die on a cross just to make you a moral person. Jesus didn't die on the cross so that you could pick yourself up or make yourself look better and begin to abide by a certain set of belief standards or principles or doctrines. Jesus died on the cross so that you could know the Father, so that you could be connected back to him. Jesus shed his blood for your sins to atone for your sins so that you could enter into a relationship with the living God and know him. That's what belief is. You gotta have both. You gotta have both. We have too many Christians that are just living in behavior world, what I should do. We need to live in belief world as well, knowing God, understanding God, communing with God, living with him, speaking with him, praying with him, and walking with him. See, behaviors are, are actually outflow of belief. You walk with God, you know God, the Holy Spirit is inside of you, he speaks to you, you read his word, you listen to his spirit, and then you walk in accordance with what he has revealed. You, you, you believe. Here's, here's what belief is. Belief is Understanding the heart of God, understanding the power of God, this is a special moment, and understanding the personality of God so much that you know how he wants to operate in a situation. That's, that's, what, that's what belief is. Belief is you, you know who God is. You know his heart. You, you know his power. You know, you know his personality. You know you got to hang out with somebody a while to understand their personality. You show up to community group, it takes about six to nine months to understand some of the personalities in the community group. You don't get it right away. Whenever you begin to start dating someone, um, in the dating process, you are dating a fake individual. Okay, that is actually not the person. They are faking it, and you are too. You are too. You're both fakers. And then when you put a ring on it, and when you get married and you begin to share a bank account, then you begin to know their personality. All right, then the real them starts to come out, all right? And you like, okay, I've, I learned their personality. I understand them. I ain't getting near the thermostat, okay? Because the last time I got near the thermostat, it didn't go well for me. You know, that's, you know them. You know their personality so well. You, you know how they're thinking. You know how they operate. You know what they want. You know what their likes, their dislikes. You know what they, 
their desire. That's, that's knowing the personality. Did you know that you can know the personality of God? You can know the personality of God. You can understand the heart of God. You can understand the mind of God, the mind of God in, in such a way that you actually know how he would want to operate in a situation. That is what belief is. I was reading the story of David and Goliath uh, this past week. And I was reading specifically to see when God told David to fight Goliath. Guess what I found? God didn't tell him to. Well, I I read a little bit further. Like, well, maybe Saul, the king, did. The king was actually trying to talk him out of it. Everybody thought David was a lunatic. Everybody, everybody thought David was crazy. I'm like, well, sh- well, surely, I mean, this is a big deal. I mean, David's getting ready to risk his life. Surely God told him to do that. I mean, surely God told him to fight a giant for crying out loud. No, that didn't happen. David stepped into a situation. He stepped into a moment, and he recognized in his situation that something wasn't congruent with the heart of God and the power of God and the personality of God, and he decided to act in accordance with the power of God in that situation. And the giant fell because he understood the heart of God, and he knew the mind of God to the degree that he understood what it was like to operate in that current situation. That's faith. That's belief. That's belief. It's operating to an entirely different dimension. It's operating to something that's completely different. It's completely foreign to the world. Now, what happens? Maybe the, the rest of the spies, they get convinced. Like they oh, Caleb, you're right. Did everybody get, get convinced? And did they, did they go in and they, did they conquer um, the land? Well, here's, here's what it says in Numbers 13, verse 31. Then the, men, then the men who had gone up with him said, We are not able to go up against the people, for they are stronger than we are. It's kind of a nice way of saying, Caleb, you're, you're an idiot. Caleb, you're, you're foolish. You, you want us to do what? You want us to invest our lives in what? You want us to give up a few hours a week or a month to, to do what? You want to, to invest our family in, in this? You, you want to, us to put our finances in that? It's, you're crazy. You, you, you want us to be a part of a church plant and seeing the gospel go outside of the city? You, you want to see it? It just looks crazy. Nobody else is really on board. Verse 32. So they brought to the people of Israel a bad report of the land that they had spied out. Saying the land through which we have gone to spy it out is a land that devours its inhabitants. You know, they don't say it's a promised land, do they? And all the people that we saw in it are great height. And there we saw, there's that word again, the Nephilim, the sons of Anak who come from the Nephilim. And we seem to ourselves like grasshoppers, and so we seem to them. You see the problem here? Do you, do you see the root of the issue here? You know what they were looking at? They were looking at themselves rather than looking at God. We're just grasshoppers. We're just grasshoppers. We ain't, we ain't got what, we don't have what it, it takes. And in some sense, they were right. Yeah, you don't have, it, have what it takes. You, you might be like a grasshopper, but you got God, which means you're a godly grasshopper. I mean, you're like, you got God on your, on your side. Everyone thinks Caleb is crazy. My last point, faithfulness to God will look like foolishness to others. Faithfulness to God will look like foolishness to others. Did you know, like, be, did you know this? Being rooted in God looks like foolishness to the world. Being rooted in God, being rooted in the mission of God, it looks like foolishness to um, the world. It looks bizarre. I mean, it just looks, but did you know that being rooted in the world looks foolish to God? The opposite is true as well. And we have to make a decision. Are we going to be rooted in the world? Are we going to be rooted in God? Let's just break this down practically real quick. Um, Are you rooted in the mission of God? Are you invested in the mission of God? Like, for instance, our, our culture travels so much these days. 
I mean, it's, it's, it's crazy, especially if you are a younger generation. You can be traveling every weekend of the month in our culture. Um, do you ever say, you know what, we need to stay because it's more important for us to stay and to be a part of corporate worship gatherings so that we can be invested in the mission of God rather than just traveling the world. And I'm sure you're doing great things, seeing family, going to a concert, going to a ball game. Uh, I'm sure it's amazing stuff. I know it's great stuff. I have the same kind of challenge and the same kind of tendency. Are you rooted and invested in the mission of God? Now, that wasn't a guilt trip that you can't ever travel again. All right, I'm not trying to say that. I'm just, do you, do you even have that category? Do you even have that, that, that thought? Like with your, with your finances, are, are you rooted and invested in the mission of God? I mean, if we put your bank account and your bank statement up on the screen in front of all of us to see, would it demonstrate that you're actually rooted in the mission of God, that the kingdom of God is more important than your kingdom? What would it, it say? Are you rooted in the mission of God? Are, are you invested in the lives of the people that are around you? Do you know, that it, you know that it costs to be invested in the mission of God? It'll cost you in your time. It'll cost you in your talent. It'll cost you in your treasure. I'm not saying that this is easy, but I'm saying it's worth it. I'm saying that it's, that it's worth it because we're changing the city and we're changing the world through the power of the gospel of Jesus Christ. Amen. Now, today we're going to emphasize what it looks like for us to be um, a part of our faith initiative, which is really a challenge. It's really a call. It's really a faith moment for us to invest in a one-time financial offering at the end of the year. Americans give billions and billions of dollars to things around Christmas time. We're saying uh, be invested in the mission of God. Let's be rooted together, all right? And not only for our family, but for our city and for our world. And today we're going to highlight what it looks like to be invested for our family. Would you turn your attention to the screens? This year's Rooted Faith Initiative is our opportunity to take a step of faith, a radical step of faith, and join God in seeing the gospel impact three areas for our family, for our city, and for our world. God is on the move through the Bridge Church, and we believe we have a great opportunity in this season to join God and invest our lives in his kingdom and his mission. Here's what's true about the mission of God. God's resources for God's mission reside in God's people. That means you and me. God's provision for his kingdom always comes through his people. Not through a book deal, a bake sale, a car wash, or a record label, but you and me. Our generosity fuels the mission of God. As the year ends, we're believing for each of us to make a one-time financial contribution to the Rooted Faith Initiative that will be above and beyond your regular giving to the Bridge Church. We want to see the gospel impact our church family right here through the ministry of the Bridge Church. We're believing God for our family in the area of ministry growth and multiplication. Many of our ministries are growing like crazy. Bridge Kids is overflowing. Bridge Students is multiplying. We believe God is going to continue to grow our ministries as a church. This means we will need more staffing, more resources, and more space for these growing ministries. We believe in God for our family in the area of church growth and multiplication. Unchurched people are showing up like never before. Almost 25% of people here have been active in a church less than one year. The auditorium is regularly at capacity, especially on high attendance Sundays. Parking is maxed out. Ministry space is maxed out. We believe church facilities aren't the goal. There are tools to serve the mission of God. And right now, our church facility as a tool isn't able to sustain the fruit God is bringing. It isn't able to serve the mission of God well. We believe it's time to prepare and make plans for a future facility that will be able to sustain and catalyze the mission of God through our church. In order for that to happen, it will take resources. Now is the time to step out in faith and invest in the mission of God. There's no better investment in the world than the local church. There's no better place to invest your life, your energy, and your dollars than the local church. Every hour, every gift, and every dollar impacts our family, our city, and our world.
All right. So if you would, there is an envelope that was in your seat when you walked in here today. Once you grab that, maybe you're sitting, sitting on it. Maybe it's under your seat. Maybe you put it in your purse. Everybody grab that envelope. Um, grab that envelope. That's for you to keep. That's for you to hang on to, take with you to keep over the next few weeks. Um, you'll come back on December 8th with your um, offering, with your commitment for that Sunday. I want you to grab the, the blue card that's in there. Everybody grab the blue card that's in there. Um, it says faith commitment at the top. At the bottom, it says $235,000. $235,000. It's, it's, it's crazy. That's what we're believing God for. We believe this is necessary in order for us to do what God has called us to do. And then on the back side, you can flip over to the back side and you can see that for our family, we're believing God for $125,000 to come in as a part of this offering. And this is going to go for ministry growth and multiplication and for anticipated church growth and multiplication. As you saw in the video, um, these resources are going to be uh, saved for the opportunity for us to be able to move on a facility when it opens. If a facility came down the pipe today, we actually couldn't move on it because we're not in a place ready for this, um, ready to be able to move on it. So we're, we're over the next uh, year or, or two, we're positioning ourselves and believing to be able to have the resources in order to do that for all the things that you saw there. And then for our city, we're believing God for $50,000 for our city to go to things like serve the city and local organizations and local schools. And then as well for our world, we're believing God for $60,000 that's going to go um, to uh, international uh, church planting, national church planting, global partnerships all over the world. Do you believe we can do it, church? You believe we can do it? It's going to, hey, it's going to require faith. It's going to require sacrifice. It's going to require surrender. Some of you that have been around here for a while, it's going to require you to double or triple what you've done in the past. This is significant. Um, but we're stepping out in faith and believing God for this. Amen. Would you stand to your feet with me? Church, let me just um, give you a little bit of a heads up of what happens in the next chapter. Numbers chapter 14. This is the end of my sermon, okay? The end of my sermon. God sends the people into the wilderness for 40 years. They're standing at the threshold of the promised land. Do they, do they get to go in the promised land? No. They actually have to go into the wilderness for 40 years. Why? God sends them into the wilderness one year for every day that the spies were in the land. What that means is that your belief has an impact. Your faith has an impact that God is looking and he's watching. He's looking at you right now. He's looking at us right now to see if we believe in him, to see if we love him, to see if we're going to follow him with radical faith. That's what God is doing. He's looking and he's, he's watching us right now. And here's the reality. We got a big God, church. We got a big God. Our God reigns. This is a living God. He's the creator of the ends of the earth. Amen. He's God and we need to believe him. Amen. Let's put our hands together and let's sing, let's worship to who, believe who he is and what he's done. Amen? Amen. Lift it up.